works. Yes, that's the only solution. All right, so coming up, uh, we're going to do an Edgington Post. Mark, you did a special episode with Stefan Kinsella about intellectual property on your Edgington Post That's right, to uh, address the uh, disagreement that you and I had a couple of days ago. And there's good news about that. I'm surprised, but YouTube actually did undo your takedown upon my request. So I don't know if you heard about this, but Mark pulled a Molyneux and did a DMCA takedown request without permission. Hmm. He was completely unauthorized to do that. He is happy because a group of people that are calling him a pedophile now get their video where they're lying yeah, I'm back happy up. that our show, once again, has never taken down a video. We were able to undo the damage that you did. Permanently Thank taken you. down a video. Yep, has never taken it down. Permanently. Uh, so we're out of time for the live show tonight. But again, stay tuned for the Edgington Post interview on intellectual property. That is coming up. And if you're on the radio, you'll only hear the first part of the interview. You have to go and get the archive from tonight's show at freetalklive.com to hear the full thing. All right, it's another edition of the Edgington Post Show. This is Mark Edge, and I mainly do these interviews for me. The reason I do them is to edify myself, and I figure the listener can really benefit by finding out some of the things I find out. For those of you that were listening to a recent episode, it was uh, the 729 episode where... Ian Freeman and I disagreed to some extent on what exactly the libertarian position on intellectual property is. That uh, particular episode got listened to, well, Stefan Gonsella. Are you there, Stefan? I'm here, Mark. And you are basically the de facto IP god of libertarianism. Is that about right? Yeah, that's correct. And so for much of your working career, worked as an intellectual property lawyer, at the same time writing uh, sort of libertarian theses against the idea of intellectual property, correct? Correct, correct. Yep, yeah, okay. And to some extent, you uh, you, you travel the internet uh, whipping into shape people who do not have precisely the proper libertarian position on IP. Is that correct? Sometimes, uh, primarily for the people that listen so that people can learn, right? Because I think it's a very, very important issue. It's a neglected issue. And I think it's a very clearly unlibertarian issue once you understand it. In fact, I recently just joined the LP for the first time ever. uh, And one of my goals is I'm going to try to get involved and try to push them to adopt an anti-patent and copyright plank in their platform because they don't have that now. Uh, So I think it's one of the most important issues libertarians can be clear on and correct on. And I think it's pretty easy to make progress on that because I've seen a lot of people's eyes open, including my own, over the last 15 or 20 years on this issue. And this isn't an area that libertarians are necessarily all of accord on. And, uh, yeah, things have changed since you began your adventure in in doing these these things. And apparently your dog agrees. (laughs) And I just, um, yeah, you contacted me on Facebook. Facebook, and if you, if Stefan Kinsella wants to come on the Edgington Post and talk about the ideas of intellectual property, by God, he can. So, where am I wrong? Yeah, T- so tell me, tell me how Ian's wrong. <laughs> I think it was clear that from a uh, from a kind of a inter from a, a communication point of view, you you thought you had his permission to do it. I'm a little confused why you thought that, but I think you did, and and he he wasn't 100% clear. So that was just between you guys, and I think you understand now he doesn't want DMCA takedown notices being issued. Um, And we have to distinguish between what's a moral thing to do, what's a good thing to do, and what is a a libertarian policy issue. Uh, Whether or not it's moral or wise to use the DMCA process to take down YouTube videos – uh, you know, I'm not really any more of an expert on that than anyone. I think it's 
arguable that it's collaborating with the state or using state laws to censor free speech. Um, you could say that, well, it's YouTube's, it's Google's and YouTube's private policy, and you're just taking advantage of that. But they probably wouldn't have that policy if the DMCA didn't force them to. So I think it's – if you oppose copyright law, then I think it's kind of morally sketchy as a libertarian to use the DMCA process um, ever. So that's, that's, one, that's one thing, right. and, and that's- I wanted to see – that's what occurred that. is that uh, you know I had used uh, the YouTube's intellectual property <laughs> policy to have taken down a video that had been up for some years and uh, that you know just annoyed me for a long time right. and had been used multiple times by people who were attempting to get um, you know get across a message that is the exact opposite of what Free Talk Lives is that we were saying something other than what we were saying and I felt like it was a lie and therefore. Or, yeah, no problem uh, using whatever means there were available to me to get it taken down. That much is true, but um, to some extent, there's this disagreement that Ian and I had, sort of an underlying disagreement, where I say that intellectual property is an idea that people have, that we believe in intellectual property as a species. I used a, an example of the, hey, that guy just told my joke. You know, if you happen to have made some clever joke, I mean, my wife sometimes will make a clever joke. I'll use it on the air. And, you know, I mean, like people want a credit or whatever for, for their joke. Now, it doesn't work right. on live radio to just give a credit forever, uh, for every joke you tell. Sometimes a joke just has to land and you have to let people laugh. Right. And so, you know, you can redefine and use terms however you want, but then you have to be careful, you know, because there's other established meanings of terms. So you're using intellectual property in sort of a loose, broad sense. Uh, but to, uh, and then in that case, we would have to say, OK, well, let's take copyright law itself. Do you believe that copyright law or anything similar to it is justified in accordance with libertarian legal principles or voluntarist legal principles, the one that we agree with? And I I think or I thought that in past years you you basically would be on the side of saying that no, you, you when someone makes a copy of something someone else has made public, they don't they don't initiate force or violate the rights of the originator of that idea and therefore the use of force in response would not be justified because then that would be aggression. Would you basically agree with that? I guess what I think of as far as copyright laws is, is that if one is going to use it, they should use it in order to protect themselves from someone using it against them. So, for instance, if I come up with uh, you know a trademark for Free Talk Live, I should register that trademark in order that somebody doesn't take that same trademark, call their radio program Free Talk Live, and then say, well, see, they're using our trademark. Um, and so if, from a defensive posture, I understand the use of government IP laws from an offensive standpoint where, you know, you're you're chasing people down because somebody used your picture on the Internet and now you're going to get them for 50 grand. That sounds outrageous to me. The one area as far as intellectual property goes that I can see the point of is trademarks. So if another another radio program comes out and calls itself Free Talk Live, uses the Free Talk Live trademark, perhaps because it's radio, that's not the best example. Let's say somebody creates a new brown bubbly beverage and calls that beverage Coca-Cola. But instead of tasting like cola, it tastes like um, 
orange slice and uh, old shoes put together. Somebody drinks the orange, the red uh, can that says Coca-Cola with the very noticeable swoop across it and says, my God, they've done something to the original classic Coke and this is now horrible and they cease to drink Coke as a result. I can see that point where Coca-Cola would then use trademark law to <coughs> go after the new purveyors of uh, orange slice and dirty tennis shoes. Well, you might can see the point that they would use this law, but the question is, is the law justified? And because the term intellectual property is used in a broad sense here, yeah. you're, you're, mix, you're mixing several types of of laws that fall under the the term IP right. um, together. Patent. So you're mixing, you're mixing, you're not even getting brought up patent, but pa- of all the types of IP, patent is really the only one where it makes sense to use it defensively. Copyright. You really can't use copyright defensively okay. because someone else can't cannot get a copyright on something you wrote, even if you don't have a copyright in it yourself. Uh, and for trademarks, if you fail to defend your trademark um, uh, and fail to enforce it, it could become generic, and then everyone else could use it, but it wouldn't prevent you from using it. So you don't really have to enforce a trademark to use it. Um, and as for the fraud aspect, see, fraud, you're kind of implying a fraud on the consumer, but that damages the consumer, and all, they already have a remedy under contract law and under fraud law. But the company that's harmed by having their reputation harmed would not, under libertarian, say, common law principles, have a remedy because you don't have a right to a reputation. And if you do, that's under defamation law, which we also oppose. You see, so you're kind of mixing together like, uh, well, I would want to do it because it would harm me. But you know, you're harmed if someone competes with you or steals your girlfriend too. And so, uh, causing harm is not sufficient to give a cause of action, right? Under the law, it doesn't mean it's aggression. You can cause harm without it being aggression. If if I take away some of your business by competing with you, it's harming you, but it doesn't violate your property rights. So, and you gave the example earlier of a defensive use versus an aggressive use. And I guess the question is, which one do you think you did by using the DMCA to basically threaten? YouTube with liability for contributory copyright infringement if they don't take this thing down, because you could sue the copyright violator for that. Do you think that your use was a defensive use or was it an aggressive use? So when I think about what occurred as far as uh, you know, three months ago when I used the DMCA takedown, I didn't consider what the what would happen afterwards. I wasn't really thinking about what um, was going to occur right. because I knew what was going to happen was that YouTube was going to take the video down, and they did. So my prediction yep. turned out to be so. Um, I suppose right. that it is a threat in the sense that I would that you know I could have employed the power of the state. I would have had to um, you know probably gotten a lawyer like you or not like you, but a, an IP lawyer to go and uh, chase after somebody, and I wouldn't have done it because it's too much work and not worth the trouble. But from that standpoint, basically, I knew what the results were going to be, so I did it. I guess. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm not trying to chastise you. I'm just yep. trying to see if you understand. Let, let, let me give a brief explanation of how this works and how it arose. To hear the rest of this great interview, go to archives.freetalklive.com and get the MP3. Look for today's date there and download or just listen on the web, archives.freetalklive.com. And we're back with the interview. Let me give a brief explanation of how this works and how it arose. At the dawn of the internet, there was a concern that if 
like a hosting company like Google or, or not Google, but one of the early companies, right? If they allowed, say, comments on a blog post thread from some random stranger and that comment included copies of someone else's work, in other words, it was a copyright infringement, or if it defamed someone, it was a defamation, that the publisher, which was the website owner or the ISP, they could be liable for the liability of the random stranger who posts those things under what's called contributory infringement liability. And there was a concern that that would have a chilling effect on the development of the internet, and therefore Bill Clinton signed the DMCA into law, which had a safe harbor, which said, okay, if you're a host, an ISP, and if you allow third-party comment to come up on your site, and if someone accuses them of infringing copyright or being defamatory, you will not be liable as long as you follow these takedown procedures. So all these companies like Facebook and YouTube, they've adopted these procedures as a way to avoid being liable. And in fact, if, if that safe harbor had not been put into place, it's very possible the internet wouldn't have developed as it has. So it was like something Congress did inadvertently that gave the internet life. And of course, the copyright industries fought against that safe harbor ever since. They're still fighting against it. That's one reason that SOPA, Stop Online Piracy Bill, was defeated, but they keep trying to whittle away at this safe harbor. So the, the end result is that YouTube adopts a very cautious approach where as soon as anyone complains, they immediately take down whatever's complained about so that they can take advantage of the safe harbor and make sure they're not liable for possible copyright infringement. So basically, they've adopted this policy, which you really can't imagine a company doing in a free market where there was no copyright law because there would be no reason to do it. Um, so this system has sprung up, which allows people to use copyright law, private citizens like you. Basically, you're using copyright law to censor speech. So that's why I believe it's aggressive to even file a DMCA complaint at all because the YouTube is going to follow it, and they did because they have to because they could be shut down because there would be trillions of dollars of liability if they didn't. Does that make sense? It makes sense. I guess uh, I can't feel contrite much about it. You know, in the case of people who are you know going around calling, uh, you know, the hosts of Free Talk Live pedophiles yeah. for um you yeah. know for positions yeah. that they have that are contrary to uh, these beliefs and then somehow they get their video taken down i guess I, I just can't feel bad about it but i understand what you're saying you could argue like i said in the beginning there's a difference between what's moral to do and what's practical to do and what is what the law should be i just uh, you guys never really got in in your little debate into a deep discussion of ip again so i just want to make sure that you we're kind of all agreed that Copyright law is unjustified, and therefore the DMCA wouldn't even exist. So you would not have a way to pull down YouTube content. And you had this other comment, like you think they were lying, or they were they were people weren't listening, they weren't going deep into it, so they were believing false falsehoods, which is more of a defamation claim. You're saying they're hurting your reputation, or yep. uh, which is a reputation right, right? Which is defamation law, which I would assume you're against defamation law as well. I generally am of the opinion that defamation law um, is is a bad thing. But of course, uh, when you allow people a particular freedom, some of them will take it to the most extreme out there and level accusations that are of the most despicable sort. And if you were to go out on the street and yell the um, N-word at every passerby, specifically in particular neighborhoods, sooner or later, somebody's going to punch you in the nose. And I'm not going to feel I agree. bad you could, about it. You could say, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I would, I would agree with that. And you could say at a certain point someone's asking for it. If you walk up to a big guy at a bar and you just insult his mother, 
it's a way of inviting a fight. I mean, that's kind of what you're doing. But that's more about the analysis of the communications that are going on, like what right. did, what's really going on, what's meant. And of course, in a free society, there wouldn't be public streets. There would be everything would be private. So wherever you're speaking, standing and making these accusations or these, 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 these insults towards people, you're either breaching the rules or you're not. And if you're not, then it's, it's fair game. And if you are, then you're committing a type of trespass or contract breach. And if you're on your own property, no one really can complain. Now, I would say that there's a line and the line would be when your speech basically amounts to a type of aggression in the sense of like, you know, if you're the if you're the uh, commander of a firing squad and you say, ready, aim, fire, you're just speaking, but you're causing the soldiers under your command to shoot someone and kill them. So, yep. or, or, if you, or if, you incite, if you incite a riot or let's say you get on the witness stand and you lie and you say, this guy broke into my house and you're totally lying and he goes to jail for that. Because in those cases, your speech is playing an integral part of a type of aggressive physical harm that's happening to someone that's unjust. But if you just lie about someone and say, look, their pizza stinks or whatever, and people stop buying from them, well, people have a right to listen to lies. They have a right to listen to to unreliable information. They have a right to make a decision not to patronize someone, even for, for bad reasons. Um, and so defamation law, I think, is totally unjustified because there is no right to a reputation. And if you believe that, then you have to believe in trademark law. You have to be, believe in libel and slander and defamation law. And, and you believe in the property right and the value of things instead of in the physical integrity. And then you lose the connection to the physicality right, of the non-aggression principle, which is that you can't use force against someone unless it's in response to force. And if you don't connect it to force and you start talking about nebulous things like harm and the value of your property, it opens up a whole can of problems, right? It does. Um, so what I hear is, is uh, basically threats or speech as, speech as sort of an action that uh, causes bad things to happen is a, is, is a form of aggression. So in this case, there's this video that existed uh, for, I think it was on the internet for four or five years. Uh, Ian and I um, tried to figure that out. So call it four or five years. And that particular video was that the title of it basically said Ian Freeman's unfortunate views or questionable views on child sex or something like that. And in yeah. it, Ian says two times, basically, that sex with uh, children is despicable and abhorrent and things like that. However, uh, because of the title of it, people just came to the conclusion on multiple occasions, several times over the course of a couple of years. And let's not forget that the Free Talk Live studios were raided by the Federal Bureau of Investigations about two and a quarter years ago with the accusation that uh, somehow a computer of ours had logged on to the Internet and downloaded child pornography from the Playpen uh, website, which was a dark web website. Uh, That's been almost two and a half years, and at this point, Nothing has occurred. The FBI hasn't made any accusations. There was simply a, uh, um, you know, they simply came, they took some computers and they left. And we got some new computers like within that week uh, for free uh, from the listeners. Thank you, all the listeners who donated. And it all seems to go back. Uh, whenever you have conversations about this, it all comes back to this video. People keep on referencing the video. So I ask you, Stefan, could one say that the video is therefore aggression, a la the guy who's uh, or the, the, the lieutenant ordering the sergeants to fire at the prisoner at the wall? Um, you know... It's not – I think it's actually not the worst argument in the world. I think it's too much of a stretch. I mean you know, sort of like Rothbard and these others talking about when can you respond um, 
preemptively to a to a threat. Yeah. You have to wait till the if the guy points a gun at you, do you have to wait until he pulls the trigger? Um, no, we would say that you can take some preemptive action, but of course you have to be careful with that. So that's why the law has said it's got to be immediate and concrete. Otherwise, you get George Bush attacking Iraq based upon similar ideas, right? In this case, because they only had kind of a, a vague, elusive title, and they just had a video that was a cut of your own video, um, it was I think edited, it'd be a stretch. Edited. Um, it was edited, but edited loosely. I don't think that the editing is the biggest, is my my strongest point. I don't think the edit is my strongest point. Go ahead. I, I suppose if you really thought that they're publishing this is some kind of accusation um, that uh, you know one of you's committed some kind of vile crime, and that would end up resulting in one of you getting physically harmed by the government because of that, it's getting. I think it is getting close to the edge of what they're doing is a type of speech that could be like inciting inciting harm against you, and maybe you would be entitled to do something in response defensively. Um, I would grant that you could make up a case. I don't really think this is one. I think it's just too much of a stretch from that kind of case. Uh, by the way, I wrote about this in detail about 15, 20 years ago in a long article in the Quarterly Journal of Austrian Economics called Causation and Aggression. So I go into kind of the, the framework. article called Causation and Aggression? Correct. So if somebody looked and up – It's on my website. Causation. It's on my website. Okay. What, what's your yeah, website? Causation and – it's stephankinsella.com under the publication. So yes. I analyze this, these issues about when speech can be. But anyway, even in this case, what you're doing is you're saying that what they did with this, it wasn't really a copyright infringement. It was basically a type of inciting or maybe a type of defamation that could result in serious harm. And you were just using the only weapon at your disposal, which is the – the fact that there happens to be copyright law, so you use that against them. Sort of like if someone sues me for antitrust infringement, which is an unjust law, I might sue, counter-sue them with a copyright suit or a patent suit because at that point, it's, it's a war of all against all, and I'm going to use whichever tools are in my basket. And I could see some cases where someone would be compelled to use any type of government force against their enemy to stop themselves from being physically harmed. I don't think that this case would easily qualify for that. But in any case, I would hope we would agree that there should not be copyright law in the first place. And if there was not copyright law, you simply wouldn't have that tool available to you. You wouldn't be able to get it taken down. And, and keep this in mind too, Mark. If there was no defamation law and no copyright law, everyone would know that everyone is free to say pretty much whatever the hell they want without liability. And therefore, they wouldn't trust what people said as easily. Right now, if someone makes an accusation, someone's a pedophile or something like that, people sort of assume that it might be true because otherwise they would be sued for defamation law, right? And if they don't get sued, they assume, well, maybe it's true. Maybe there's some truth to it. So I think the existence of defamation law kind of adds credibility to false claims right now, which probably would, would not happen as much absent copyright law and defamation law. And I, I would concur with all, all of those statements. One last question. So intellectual property as a concept, as I discussed um, last night on the show, the 29th, I believe, as a concept, sort of this nebulous concept of ownership. So property, like this chair upon which I sit, is certainly real. But my ownership of that chair is an agreement between peaceful people. The joke that I may tell is real in the sense that I have vibrated the air and uh, we understand language and all those things. But uh, the ownership of that joke is nebulous. It's really just based upon belief, your belief, my belief, whatever belief. 
And I would ask you then, is there no intellectual property, understanding what I'm defining as intellectual property? Is there no such thing as intellectual property? And um, yeah. Um, yeah, can I have a few minutes to answer that? Because it's kind of complicated. Yeah, you got all the time or to do Okay, so and I sent you a, a little quote uh, from Lefebvre, and where he talks about like in language, people use the possessives like my joke or my song, uh, and usually that's connected with attribution, like so who 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 the creator was, which really has nothing to do with copyright or defamation or patent. It's just more like who was the who was the person identified as being the creator. It doesn't mean they have any rights. So that wouldn't be an ownership right. Originally, what you have is you have this, this kind of proto-libertarian order, right? People getting along, and they start agreeing to respect each other's stuff, right, that they might otherwise conflict over. This is where property rights emerge from. So I think in a sense you could be right by saying it's an agreement over who can control these things that we use in action, right, your chair or whatever. So property rights emerge. And then the state started taking over and corrupting it, and they started issuing these special types of practices – one was copyright, one was patent. Let's forget about the others because these are the big ones. In copyright, you had the government controlling the printing press and eventually monopolizing what could be printed, and then that right got transferred to authors, and it became a copyright. So the origins of copyright lie in censorship and state control for what books could be printed, and the origins of patent lie in the grants of, of, of monopoly privileges by the, by the monarch to to their court cronies, like you're the only one who can sell playing cards in this town. In exchange, you help me collect taxes or whatever. So it was right. just all these corrupt deals. They both resulted in the Statute of Anne and the Statute of Monopolies in England, and then they found their way into the U.S. Constitution. And so you have these sort of anomalies to the private property system, which usually protects ownership rights in tangible or material things. And you have these governmental rights, which allow you to use the courts to stop people from printing something or to stop people from competing with you in copyrights and patents. And then the free market economists started opposing these things in the 1800s. They say, what the hell is going on? This is, this is mercantilist. It's protectionist. It's against free trade in, in the free market. And so the, the defenders of patent and copyright – who by now were becoming entrenched industries, right? Like the, pub, the growing publishing oh, yeah. <laughs> industry was dependent upon copyright, and it, it basically enslaves authors and art, artists for a long time until the advent of the internet. And the patent system, you had these industries dependent upon the protection they could use to stop competitors. So they fought against the attempt of the free market economists to start eroding patent and copyright. And part of their um, argument was that, no, no, these are not government-granted monopoly privileges, which is what they had always been called – in fact, patents came from the statute of monopolies. I mean, this was not even controversial. So the, the, the entrenched interests started saying, well, it's not really a monopoly granted by the government. It's a natural right, just like other rights. It's just that it's intellectual in origin because it comes from your mind. So they, they came up with this term intellectual property to say that, well, everyone believes in property rights. This is just another property right. It's just an intellectual property right. They had to add the word intellectual because it, it didn't seem like property rights because – it's not doesn't have a, a body, a corpus, right? It's not corporeal. It's not tangible. It it expires after an arbitrary amount of time, right. like about twenty eight, fourteen or twenty eight years originally for patent and copyright. Right. The chair is and, mine and, when I buy it for as long as it holds together. Exactly. So there was these differences. It didn't seem like property rights. So they said, well, it's a special type. It's called intellectual property. So they came up with this term IP just as a propaganda tactic to defend government grants of monopoly privilege. And then other ones 
crept under that umbrella over time, like defamation law and a trademark law and trade secret law and boat hull designs and semiconductor mask work protection. But the big ones are patent and copyright. So you asked me if there is there any intellectual property. I would say that the purpose of – the answer is no. And, and, and in a way, that's not even the right question. The question is never, Stefan, is this property or not? That's never the question. The question is, is this object or this thing that people have a dispute over, right, some kind of legal dispute, and where the question is, well, who can get it, A or B? If there's a dispute over this thing, who's the owner? And then property rights is the system where you say, okay, A is the owner. He has a property right in this object that was the subject of dispute, and that's how property rights emerge. So the question is never, is this property? It's there's a chair here, and both Mark and Stefan want the chair, so they have a legal battle over it, and the property rights system says who gets it. Right? It allocates the ownership of that chair. But in the case of a song, like if you sing a song and I hear it and I start singing it myself or playing it on stage or I sell a recording, which is a copy in a sense of your song, and I make money from voluntary fans who, who pay me to go to my concert or even buy my CD – Right, or I get ad revenue from a YouTube version of it, or something like that. You don't like that. Just like if I start a if I start a competing Pizza Hut or, or soda beverage company, and it takes some of your customers away, you might not like that either. And in that case, you might go to the government and you might ask for protectionist legislation to hamper your competitors. But that's not a just action, and that's not a just law. And in the case of copyright, you don't like that I'm making money for some reason off of your content, and you see the possessive word your, you think it's your content, you think they're your sales that I'm stealing from you. Of course, I'm not stealing anything. I'm just performing something. I'm not. So if you take me to court and you say, listen, we have a dispute, then I would say, well, what's the dispute? What's the disputed object? And you would say the song. I would say, well, you still have the song. It's not like there's one song that I have taken from you where I've copied information because information is a different type of thing. Right, So there never would be a property right in information. The question would be, but when Stefan sang this song or published a version of it, did he commit a trespass against any property rights that Mark has? Did I step onto your property without your permission? Did I breach a contract with you? Did I threaten you or did I commit a tort against you? Did I commit any kind of assault against you? And if you can't show any of those things, and you can't, then your case would be dismissed. In other words, you'd have a world of free speech, and people would be free to compete and free to use whatever information is out there. So I say no. Intellectual property is always of any type that the state enforces, right? And we're talking trademark law, copyright, patent, and trade secret primarily. They all basically violate the property rights of the natural owners of material things. It takes away some of it and gives it to someone else, which is redistribution or theft caused by the state at the behest of certain private individuals. Let me ask you one more question here, and I'm, I'm getting where you're coming from on this, but uh, there's this quote out there, and the, it's attributed to Joe Rogan. It's, the law is a bunch of words written on paper by people who are generally considered to be liars and thieves. So let's try to figure out what's right rather than what's legal. And this particular quote is verbatim something that I said on air and somebody mm -hmm. made a meme of it and then somebody uh, presumably at the Joe Rogan experience or maybe somebody on the internet who just liked it or whatever the reason was we have no idea why misattribution occurs in quotes but it does under Joe Rogan's name this quote has been shared millions of times so my words mm -hmm. which are you know pretty cool <laughs> get shared and that's pretty cool 
but they get shared with this other dude's face, um, who is, eh, to some extent, my competition. I'm sure he doesn't, maybe he doesn't even know who our names are. I have no clue. Um, he's never had us on a show, so obviously that, uh, you know, that says something. Um, but, you know, he's benefited in whatever way from this quote um, that has been shared millions of times. It's not an exaggeration at all. And I generally do not benefit from it. And I'm the one who said it. In this case, it's not Mark Twain. It's not uh, Winston Churchill, both of whom are dead. It's Mark Edge, who is alive and kicking and would like some people to download, to heard this quote, to download Free Talk Live and hear actual libertarianism rather than downloading the Joe Rogan experience and hearing, you know, interviews about Bigfoot or whatever it is that they're hearing at any given time. Not to say he's not talented. So what do you say about that particular instance? Not that I'm trying to go after Joe Rogan. I'm just happy that my quote gets heard. Go ahead. (laughs) Well, first of all, I'd say that we live today in a world of IP law. We live in a world where there is defamation law and there is trademark law and there is copyright law. And apparently it has not stopped this misattribution from happening. So (laughs) it's not really an argument for IP anyway, even if uh, because it doesn't solve the problem. And look, I, I assume there's a way to factually demonstrate who really wrote it, and to the extent people care, you know, things like Snopes and things like that. To arise. the extent that they care, yes. Um, <laughs> and, and if there was a type of accreditation that was difficult, then you could see private sort of registries arising where you could register, uh, like and people say the blockchain could be used for this for inventions and things like that, or just, you know, some, some sophisticated version of archive.org on the internet, and you could, you could find a way to prove that you really were the the originator. I mean, I think there's been scientific disputes like this too about you know who first came up with uh, a certain scientific theory when there's two competing scientists, and there, that's not even a legal matter. It's just a cultural matter within a yeah. given society. And I believe that in in comedy, there's something like that private kind of shunning and enforcement of right. comedians that quote unquote steal each other's jokes. Um, it's not even really a legal thing. Um, but and by the way, I disagree with the quote in a sense. I, I think if you take it to be uh, a criticism of legal positivism, I agree with it. That is, you're saying that just because some committee of government bureaucrats announces an edict doesn't mean it's just law. Sure, that's what um, I mean. So I agree with that. But it, it also seems to conflate morality and law, which I wouldn't do. I would say that, look, you can say something is immoral without it being a rights violation. So right. it, you could say that someone might be being dishonest, right, by taking credit for what someone else did. And I think that would be socially censured and should be viewed as an immoral action, but it doesn't mean it's a rights violation. Just, you know, if you're if you're a rude person, it doesn't mean that there should be a law against about, against being rude. And I think that by and large, people that are shysters and liars and exaggerators, they tend to, their reputation tends to catch up with them. Um, especially when you can prove that it's basically someone's taking credit for someone else's work or they're being dishonest or lying. People tend to know this kind of person. And then reputation for people that are honest likewise helps them over, over, over time. So I just don't think you need, even in a libertarian society, any private legal system that, 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 would, that would stop that. I think it's just part of human interaction and social norms. Stefan Kinsella, please uh, tell folks where they can find more of your work. Uh, StephanKinsella.com. So let's go over some spelling anomalies here just to make sure that uh, people know this is radio as opposed to uh, the printed word. So it gets a little more difficult. I knew for a long time your name was Stefan Kinsella, but I didn't know how to spell Kinsella. Yep. Um, Stefan is pretty obvious oh. um, the way it's pronounced. Oh. 
What's that? Okay. So, Usually I get the opposite. People know how to spell Kinsella. Or they can go to C4SIF.org. See the number four, which means Center for the Study of Innovative Freedom.org. That has my IP stuff. But Stefan is S-T-E-P-H-A-N, like the girl Stephanie without the I-E. Okay. And Kinsella is an Irish name. It's K-I-N-S-E-L-L-A. StephanKinsella.com. Thanks, Stefan. Thanks, Mark. Some of you asked, and now we've delivered. LRN.FM's live Keen New Hampshire studio shows are now streamed in HD on Twitch. Visit our channel at twitch.lrn.fm and give it a follow. If you have Amazon Prime, you get one free subscription on Twitch. If you use it on our channel, Twitch will give LRN.FM a monthly piece of your Prime subscription cost. So please watch, follow, share, and subscribe to twitch.lrn.fm. That's twitch.lrn.fm.